right, we have made it. We have made it to the end of our splash series, exclamation points, and exploring the depths of God's grace all the way to the bottom of the sea. We've made it to the end of the book of Jonah about the life of a guy named Jonah. And if you've been here or not, um, just kind of to rehash the story that, we, that has led us to this final chapter. There was this man named Jonah. He was a, a man who was a, a prophet, supposed to be a public truth teller, was supposed to be someone who was sent by God to deliver a very specific message on behalf of God. So the book opens, the story opens with Jonah getting this message from God, saying, get up and go to the city of Nineveh, deliver this message for me. And Jonah gets up and he goes in the opposite direction. And he hops on a boat going the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. Immediately after that, he's on the boat and this big storm comes and it's so strong that the boat is like threatening to pull itself apart. And in this moment, Jonah realizes, uh, I want to continue to run away from this. So I'm going to place the blame for this on myself and on God. And to continue to try to get away from God and from doing this thing, I'm going overboard. I'm willing to go down to the depths of the sea or in the ancient world. I'm willing to go to the depths of hell to get away from this calling that God has for me. So we travel down the Jonah to the depths of hell, and it's not as great as he would anticipate, maybe. It's not the escape that he was hoping for. And in that moment of dire need, he reaches out to God, uh, realizes that he, he, he doesn't want to and can't do this on his own, and lo and behold, there is this giant fish that is waiting to consume him, that is waiting to rescue him from the depths of hell, and a three days journey brings him back to the surface where he is disgorged, he's thrown up, he's given new life, given a rebirth for him to potentially do better going forward. He finds himself on dry land, he's been rebirthed, and this same call comes back to him again, Jonah, get up, go to Nineveh and deliver this message for me. This time Jonah does that, he gets up, he goes to Nineveh, and he gives this five-word sermon. In 40 days, Nineveh overturned. He's hoping that means they're going to be destroyed. What they do, though, is the, the people of Nineveh, these enemies of Jonah's people, they realize the wrong that they've done. They look down at their hands, and they realize what uh, bad things their hands have done, and, and they completely change course they, they cry out to God, they, they cover themselves in these sackcloths, which are like the, these garments to show that they are mourning and sorry for what they've done, and they say, hopefully God will see this and change God's mind, and lo and behold, God's mind is changed. This seems like a really good way to end this story, right? And if the story ended like that, it would be a happy ending, not only for the people of Nineveh, but all, it would seem that everybody would walk away happy, but this is not the end of the story, and not everybody is going to walk away from this story happy. So, after three chapters, we end with this fourth chapter, just 11 verses again, short and sweet. This is where we pick up the story. All of this has just happened. The, the people of Nineveh have changed their ways. God has relented from sending this destruction. This displeased Jonah terribly, and he became very angry he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, this is just what I thought would happen when I was in my own country. This is what I tried to prevent by attempting to escape to Tarshish. 
because I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in mercy, and one who relents concerning threatening judgment. So now, Lord, kill me instead, because I would rather die than live. The Lord said to him, Are you really so very angry? Jonah left the city and sat down east of it. He made a shelter for himself there and sat down under it in the shade to see what would happen to the city. The Lord appointed a, uh, a little plant and caused it to grow over Jonah to be a shade over his head to rescue him from his misery. Now Jonah was very delighted about the little plant. So God sent a worm at dawn the next day and it attacked the little plant so that it dried up. When the sun began to shine, God sent a hot east wind, so the sun beat down on Jonah's head, and he grew faint. So he despaired of life and said, I would rather die than live. God said to Jonah, are you really so very angry about the little plant? And Jonah said, I am so angry as I could possibly be. The Lord said, you were upset about this little plant, something for which you have not worked, nor did you do anything to make it grow. It grew up overnight and died the next day. Should I not be even more concerned about Nineveh, this enormous city? There are more than 120,000 people in it who do not know right from wrong, as well as many animals. The end. Uh, sometimes when I'm reading books to my kids, I will like, there, there's like four uh, pages left, but sometimes I'll just finish a page like it's a cliffhanger and just say the end, and they know like that, that can't possibly be the end. Uh, this is the end. This is like the story that gets cut off. There is, no, there is no missing ending here. Should I not be concerned about the people of Nineveh and also many animals? The end. Uh, so, just to kind of backtrack and, and relook at what just happened in these 11 verses, you might be asking, like, Jonah, what on earth did you expect when this all went down? And Jonah's response would be, this is exactly what I expected would happen and why I didn't want to go through this in the first place. This is why when you told me to get up and go, I did not get up and go. I went the other way because this is what I was worried about. I was worried that you were going to be all gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Uh, slow to send judgment. That's not what I wanted. I wanted the opposite thing. I wanted them to get what they had coming to them. That's why I went the other way. This is exactly what I expected. I wish you would just kill me now because it would be better than having to deal with this. Uh, I mentioned last week I, I have a, a house with three young children in it, and sometimes that means drama. Uh, and, and this recent thing that has been happening with one of, our, one of our kids who shall go unnamed, when something happens, the dramatic response is, this is the worst day of my life. To which my wife and I are like, is it really that bad? And what is the response? Yes, <laughs> this is the worst day of my life. So I imagine, or I, I imagine God in this moment as Jonah's throwing this hissy fit. He's like, God's rubbing the temples, saying, is this really as bad as you think it is? And in order to try to help Jonah understand, uh, to kind of reason with Jonah, God does this thing where uh, he makes, God makes this plant 
grow up. So Jonah is still not convinced this is the way it's going to go. Remember, 40 days, Nineveh overthrown or overturned. The people of Nineveh have changed their way, but Jonah still apparently is holding out hope that they're actually going to get destroyed. So Jonah sets up camp outside the city, and Jonah's just going to wait there hoping that they do get destroyed. So while Jonah's out there, God allows this plant to grow up over Jonah that protects him from the heat of the day. And Jonah's really happy about this plant. He really likes this little plant. Well, no sooner does the plant grow that uh, God then sends a worm that devours the plant. There's no longer any shade. And then this wind blows in and it's extremely hot. And Jonah is just miserable And he's so upset about this plant having died. And again, God is trying to reason with Jonah, are you really so upset about this plant? And Jonah says, yes, I am. This is the worst day of my life. I would rather die than continue to sit here. Have you ever tried to reason with a child? Have you ever tried to reason with a (laughs) grown-up? It usually doesn't go well, and it's not going well here in this moment. God tries to reason with Jonah. There is no reasoning with Jonah. He is convinced that this is the worst thing that has ever happened, and he would rather die than live because this plant has died. And now God goes into this monologue. It is the longest, uh, is the longest that we have uh, God speaking in the book of Jonah, and yet it's only three verses long. But God goes out, and having done this thing to kind of uh, show Jonah how unreasonable Jonah is being, God points out, okay, you were upset about this, this plant. I see that you're upset about this plant. Why would I not be even more upset about these people? Over 100,000 people. You're upset about this plant, but you're okay with them meeting their demise. Why would I not be upset about all of those people and also many animals who are there? How unreasonable is Jonah being? It's absurd, right? How dare Jonah act this way? And then the funny thing is the story ends. We have no idea what Jonah does from here, right? There is, no, uh, there is no happy ending. There is no, um, there is no Aesop's fable, like here's the moral of the story. There is no sequel to this. It's just like this hanging ending. God delivers this line, and we're not really sure what Jonah's response is going to be. It's almost like we're not supposed to read this as a story that simply happened to this one guy, but it's a story that constantly happens. It's almost as if we're supposed to find ourselves wrapped up in this story and seeing that maybe this story was not just meant for this one person, but maybe this was a message to a much broader group of people or to us as humans. You people of Israel, you who were called to be God's people who believed that was very exclusive, you who came up with this idea of one God and then chased after all of these other gods, you who set up all of these rules about what it meant to be God's people, and then you went ahead and broke all those rules, and God hung with you regardless. Is it so unreasonable to think that the definition of God's people ought to be wider? 
is it not unreasonable for people who have, uh, who have worshipped one God to come around to a different way of living? It is, is it not unreasonable for people who have broken all the rules to figure out that they have broken all the rules and to repent and change their ways and to be accepted within the grace of God? Is it not unreasonable for us to say that the unending, undeserved, unbelievable love of God is for anyone and everyone who can come to understand and respond to it. Is that not unreasonable? That is a message not only for Jonah, but for the people of Israel of which he was a part, and also for us today. This, this book that we've been reading, the story that we've been going through, is all about the grace of God, which we have de- defined as the unending, the undeserved, the unbelievable love of God. And we've talked about, as we've read through this story, the different experiences that we can have of God's grace and how those experiences are, are a little bit different. Uh, first, there is the provenient grace of God, which is that, that grace of God that goes out before us, which is on this trail before us and is like inviting us in before we can even respond. Last week, we talked about the justifying grace of God. This is the, the, the grace when we realize that we can't do this on our own. God's hand, hands are extended to us, and it is our position to then reach out, acknowledging our need. And yet, it is so often that, that people and traditions focus exclusively, primarily, but often exclusively on that that justifying grace, that one-time event, you make a decision for Jesus, you make a decision for God, there's this one time when things are made right, and then it's all clear from there. You've got your ticket punched, right? But what good is heaven somewhere else some other time when we are contributing, contributing or allowing hell to happen here? What good is a life that is, uh, experiences that, that grace in that moment that is not transformed going forward? And so within our tradition, within the United Methodist tradition, uh, of which we are a part, we also talk about this third experience of grace, which is sanctifying grace. Fancy word. You don't need to know what sanctifying is, other than that it is the constant movement that is constant growth, that is saying we never arrive at a point where which we are perfect, but we are constantly moving towards perfection. We are constantly saying, how can we be better human beings? How can we grow in grace ourselves and extend that grace to other people? How can we grow in love of God and our neighbors as we understand the love that God has for us? There is no arriving. We are constantly moving forward, deepening our curiosity and sense of awe as we talk about it here at The Grove. Um, I, I had a reminder of this this past week as I was um, at an event. I'm trying to be careful here. I, I was at an event with a bunch of people from a community of which I used to be a part several years ago. Uh, and it was, an, it was an important thing for me to be there at this event. And yet I was absolutely dreading, absolutely dreading being there. And uh, the reason is that I haven't been a part of that community for several years. And I have grown a whole lot in those years. I've changed a whole lot. I've changed uh, and 
refined and I think strengthened some of my beliefs and values around a, a key many things. And, uh, and I was convinced that my experience of being there in that space that day might not be a positive one because in many ways those beliefs and values are in tension with or like in direct conflict with many of them. And yet I went anyways and I pulled into the parking lot. I got there early. I pulled into the parking lot and I did not get out of my car. I looked at the bumper stickers in the parking lot. I looked at the people who I saw going in. I thought about the people who were probably in there. And I thought about how uh, there might be some conflict. Um, some of it might be external, most of it not. I thought about the things that people were going to be thinking about me, saying about me behind my back, the interactions that I would have, the interactions that I would not have because certain people would not want to have interactions with me. And I seriously debated starting my car and pulling out of the parking lot. And in that moment, as the minutes ticked off my watch, I thought about Jonah. I thought about this story from thousands of years ago and half a world away, and I said audibly, God, give me the grace that I have also experienced. Allow me to have that same type of grace for the people who are in there. And I, uh, I got up, got out of the car, and I went inside, and it was fine. It was fine. This story from thousands of years ago, maybe 3,000 years ago and half a world away, is an opportunity again for us, a calling for us to say, you have come to understand the depths of God's unending, undeserved, unbelievable love. Is it not unreasonable that we might extend that to other people that we might even find undeserving? This is not to say that we allow people to continue to, to do poor things. Uh, maybe, however, it is an opportunity for us to cheer for transformation for people even when we don't agree with them. It is an opportunity for us to cheer them on even and especially when we come to heads with them. The Ninevites were Jonah's enemies. They had killed his people. And yet, Jonah had come to understand the grace of God, and God was telling him, is it not unreasonable for them maybe to experience that grace as well? So my prayer, my hope, is that we as flawed people, as we ourselves come to understand the grace of God, the unending undeserved, unbelievable love that God has for us, that we might grow in that love, grow in that grace, extend that love and grace to other people. You might even call it growing goodness. May that be so. Which is a perfect opportunity for us to transition into what we call communion or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist. The word Eucharist comes from the word grace. Uh, in the final moments that Jesus had with his closest followers, he gathered around a meal with them and retold this story from their history. 
this story of God acting decisively in human history to set God's people free. It was this moment at which um, God blew open the doors of grace. And in that moment, gathered for that meal with these people that Jesus had come to know and that had come to follow him over the years, he shared this meal with them and he reinterpreted it. He did not close the doors and say, only you who are worthy are welcome in. He did not say, you are only welcome in if you have all the right beliefs and you can check off on the dotted line, sign your name at the bottom. In that room was a person who was going to turn him over to be killed, among other people who in the next 24 hours would scatter, would completely abandon him. Jesus did not say, you're not welcome here. Instead, the grace of God abounded. The unending, undeserved, unbelievable love of God was extended even to them, especially to them. So in that room, Jesus took these everyday elements that they would have been familiar with. He took this loaf of bread and he broke it and said, imagine this is my body, which is given for you. Yes, even for you. Do this as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. Then he took this cup of wine and said, imagine this is my blood, which is poured out for you. Yes, even you, especially you. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For when you do these things, you remember the grace of God that abounds in and through you until it becomes overwhelming. So in just a moment, we're going to invite you forward to partake in this. Once again, you don't have to be a member of this church in order to participate in this. You don't have to have all of your doctrine and beliefs about God figured out. You do not have to be an adult. The grace of God is for everyone, available for everyone, and the best ways to experience the grace of God is to experience it. So just a moment, we'll invite you forward. We have these small cups. Um, as, as you come up, we will say a quick blessing over you. We'll give you one of these. Uh, there's two different layers. The top layer has a wafer, which represents the, uh, the body of Christ. It is gluten-free, so if you are gluten-free, you are welcome to participate. The second layer gets you to the grape juice, which represents the blood of Christ. Uh, it is grape juice, not wine, so if you are in recovery, you're also welcome and invited to participate. And then you can either hold on to these or there's a trash at the back. You can bring it directly to there or hold on to it when we wrap up the service in just a few minutes. With that, I'll invite Miranda to come up. And I'll invite you to come up as you feel comfortable. <laughs> 